0: Good morning. Good morning. I'm originally from Minnesota. Have any of you lived or were raised in Wisconsin, Minnesota, North Dakota area? Okay. Close. Fabulous. So, Some people in Minnesota look forward to winter, to snow. They enjoy skiing, ice fishing, ice skating, snowmobiling, and other activities. I am not one of them. <laughs> Fall is generally a couple of months in September or early October. A Couple of months, a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of days. <laughs> the temperature is what they call brisk. It's cold. (laughs) The average temperature in October is similar to the average temperature here um, in January. October is just the beginning of winter. It's already dark and cold and getting colder. By November, most people leave for work and return home from work in the dark. And that's really the only consistency that it's dark and cold. How cold varies, as does the amount of snow. The most rigid temperature recorded was negative 60 degrees in February 1996. That was the actual temperature. The wind chill makes it much colder. I left Minnesota the following year. One year, on Halloween of 1991, a winter storm dumped two feet of snow overnight. We were trapped in the house. In other years, there was little snow until um, late December. And generally, it snows in most months, and it um, it doesn't melt like it does here. It just keeps accumulating, and can snow as late as May. So, really, winter is October to May. My birthday is at the end of April, and so growing up, planning was difficult. Some years, we'd celebrate having an outdoor picnic in 70-degree weather. Other years, we'd get a blizzard. Shoveling snow and scraping frost off the windshield is a regular daily practice. By the time we reach the first day of winter, December 22nd, I'm already ready for spring. I'm tired of the dark and the cold and being wet. Yet there's many more months to go. The colorful lights of the holiday season help to make the darkness more bearable. I think that's also part of the attraction to groundhog Day, an attempt to make the interminable winter more bearable and a playful way to mark the passing of winter and our hopes for the arrival of spring. I hadn't paid much attention to the tradition over the years. It didn't really matter to me what the groundhog said. I knew that summer was a long way off. This year, I wondered, why ask a groundhog? I've always thought it was a bizarre animal to make the prediction. What makes a groundhog special? Why ask a rodent about the end of winter? And why do we keep asking year after year, especially since some argue that they're correct only about a third of the time, which is less than if it were by chance. (laughs) Why wouldn't we ask a bear about spring? Bears hibernate for the winter. They certainly don't oversleep and miss spring. And nobody would think to wake a bear from its napping. If we watch the bears for signs that they're about to awaken, we might accurately predict when winter will end. Well, according to lore, the tradition began in the early 1800s and bears were among the original animals consulted, as were badgers and foxes. In Germany, bears were initially consulted until they became scarce and the lore was altered. The groundhog being a stand-in for a bear slightly shifts by perception of them from considering them as large squirrels. <laughs> this fun, light-hearted tradition highlights a significant point. Who we ask matters. Many people hesitate to ask for help. And asking for help is, a, um, is challenging for a variety of reasons. I, as did I'm sure many of you, grew up in cultural and familial environments that highly valued independence and self-sufficiency. <clears throat> Our parents aimed to raise children into full-fledged adults who could care for themselves. I grew up quickly and learned to do things for myself early. Those who grew up in chaotic environments, as I did, learned that adults could not always be depended upon or trusted. Asking questions often exposed me to criticism, so I preferred learning through observation. In environments where self-sufficiency is prized, I didn't have many opportunities to see the skill of requesting help modeled. Therefore, I didn't have much practice asking for help. It did not become a well-developed skill in childhood. Asking for help is a skill that involves the willingness to ask, knowing how, what, where, and when, as well as whom, to ask. This underdeveloped skill presents a challenge for many, the query why don't you just ask for help, oversimplifies this complex process. First, where, what do I need and where do I look? Long ago in a galaxy far, far away, two large books were delivered annually to every household. The white pages listed every person's name and phone number in the local area. The Yellow Pages listed businesses in the community by category. Outside of word of mouth, the Yellow Pages was where you found services to meet your needs. I found the categories of the Yellow Pages challenging. I often couldn't find what I needed. I might know what I need, just not how to find it. Along came the internet, which at first was even more frustrating. Now, search results produced thousands of websites that were all irrelevant to what I sought. Over time, search browsers became more powerful. Now, even my unclear questions are understood and results are relevant. And I get pointed into the right direction for help. Even when I'm unclear about what I need, a Google search often helps me to figure out my next steps clarify what I need, and where to find help. I know that doctors roll their eyes when patients tell them that they googled their symptoms. Mine did. (laughs) They have good reason. Doctors have many years of medical training, practice, and knowledge of their patients' health. Google cannot substitute for good medical care and advice. There is a whole lot of misinformation available on the internet everything must be validated, and not simply taken as legitimate. But Google can be a helpful tool as a starting place for clarifying the issue and determining when to look for help. In early 2020, my new puppy started throwing up. Puppies do that, so I wasn't all that concerned. She seemed happy. She ran around and played. But something seemed off, so I casually Googled. What I read caused me to immediately take her to the emergency vet. There she had x-rays which showed an obstruction in her intestine. She had emergency surgery to remove the object, which likely would have killed her. I'm so grateful to the vet for saving her life and to Dr. Google for getting me to take her to the vet. The internet as a first step is helpful to me as I fumble through the wording of my questions or figure out the topic. Boolean searches are a thing of the past. Now, I simply put in a whole sentence. Writing to Google, my kitchen countertop is chipping, I learned that I could resurface, refinish, repair, or replace. Who knew? The anonymity of the internet reduces any embarrassment or shame about the question or topic. And an added bonus is learning others have asked this same question. I feel less lost and alone knowing other people are in the same predicament. And it produces a sense of community. Finding communities of people sharing their experiences with similar identities or challenges has been quite helpful to me. Years ago, I sought without success gatherings of other women who were discontinuing the pursuit of motherhood. I even partnered with an organization to offer a support group. There were some inquiries, but no one ever attended. Finally, I found others in the virtual world where I could read their stories and share my story, for going in-person, I found the support I needed online. Sometimes it's very clear when help is needed. There are indicators, like the presence of blood after a severe accident. However, it is less clear when to ask for help for much of life. Knowing when often comes through our learning from previous experiences and listening to our intuition. Unfortunately, intuition is too easily ignored or discounted. Intuitively, I knew something was off about my puppy. 30 years ago, my experience told me I needed to get sober. My intuition and knowledge of myself told me that I'd need help to get sober. Other times, negative previous experiences indicate the need to ask for help. Here's an example. More than a decade ago, we bought a truck to haul stuff and to be able to go camping. Then we discovered our truck was too small to even pull the smallest pop-up camper. More than a decade later, we had the opportunity to buy a 25-year-old travel trailer. We bought it, then we went to look for a truck. Over the next two years, we learned a great deal about towing and camping, including that our truck's engine is really stressed in the summer heat, driving in mountains, and when the tanks are full. We're now considering our future needs. We recognized that the first time we bought the truck before the camper, and the second time we brought the camper before the truck, and both times didn't match. So, how do we figure out which vehicle and which camper we need to meet our needs? We saw an advertisement for an RV show and decided to seek their help, see if they could offer us any help. And indeed, they could and did. We now know which camper, and the exact type of truck that we need to meet our needs. Knowing when to ask for help or what is needed is often less clear. Several years ago, I discussed a difficult situation I was experiencing with some colleagues and friends. They asked me, how can we best support you right now? My first thought was, How on earth would I know what support I need? That question though showed me how much they care. And the question also puzzled me. I didn't know what kind of support I needed, what I could even ask for, and what would help. Pondering for a few moments, I said, I don't know. I don't even know what options are available. How can you support me? They offered several ideas and I realized I'd already received precisely what I needed. I just needed them to listen and to feel their care for me. Often that is all that's needed to have someone listen to your story without judgment and offer compassion, understanding, and care. When you're the listener, it may not feel like listening is enough. We naturally want to do what we can to fix whatever is causing pain. However, truly listening to the pain of another is a real gift to be heard and understood. The importance of having people in your life who listen to you and are supportive, authentic, and compassionate cannot be overstated. Those listeners may be family, Friends, co workers, counselors, doctors, ministers, spiritual directors, helplines, hotlines, support groups, or some other person or group. The supportive person need not be someone you know well, however, they must be trustworthy. Equally important is that we are authentic, truthful, compassionate people who are willing to deeply listen and to support others. It's not always clear what we need or where to find help. Often it is someone else in our lives who notices the need or has some relevant information for us. For example, years ago I was experiencing a depressive um, episode that I wasn't completely aware of. During spiritual direction, my uh, director said to me, Michelle, it may be time to talk with your doctor. That simple statement helped me to see what was happening and to make an appointment with the doctor. One of the key reasons that Alcoholics Anonymous is successful it is, is that it is one alcoholic talking with another alcoholic. Asking someone who is now sober how to get sober is the right person to ask. Asking someone who never drank how to get sober is not helpful. Who we ask matters. More important is that we do ask. Practice asking for small things so that when the big things happen, this important skill is easier to use. Puxatawney Phil did not see his shadow on Friday, which means he predicted an early spring. Winter's not nearly as bad here as it was in Minnesota, but I still look forward to it. When early spring actually happens is debatable, which is why there's controversy over whether the groundhog is correct or not. I want to believe that spring is coming, so I choose to believe Phil. His prediction makes me feel more hopeful. However, I'm not gonna base my plans on that prediction. Historical trends, meteorologists, or maybe even a grandmother's knees are better predictors of weather than a rodent. May you find the support you need when you need it. Amen.